publishing startup. No, that's not an oxymoron. More than 1,300 new ventures have appeared in the industry over the past 15 years, according to a new report in Publishers Weekly from analyst Thad McElroy. And whether those startups have gone public or gone belly up, they may be found in an online database for your inspection. Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. Digital disruption has come to publishing from many directions and many actors. Household names like Apple and Amazon appear on Thad McElroy's spreadsheet of startups, along with many more that are obscure, forgotten, and long departed. And possibly, who knows, among them lies hidden a unicorn. Thad McElroy joins me now from San Francisco with stories of ambition and aspiration. Welcome back to Velocity of Content, Thad. Great to see you again, Chris. Great to be back. Well, we enjoyed looking at the spreadsheet and reading the background on this survey of startups that you published with Publishers Weekly last fall. Tell us about the inspiration for amassing such a list. Good question. It, I keep spinning it around in my head because it took such a long time. And then you think, well, how did it all begin? And I go back to an old a conference got more than a decade ago, the Tools of Change Conference, Rest in Peace, which was a great tech conference while it lasted. I was on a panel there where we were talking about startups. And it was interesting because the different panelists had different levels of enthusiasm. I was still in my cynical phase, being still a young man at the time. And cynically, I was thinking, oh, come on, the publishing industry doesn't have that degree of innovation. And there's not a whole bunch of you know success in the startup sector. And I thought, well, easy for you to say that. Why don't you look into it? And so began the journey which you know, began with a few hundred companies from a list I, I was able to obtain from someone else looking in this direction. I started to augment the list and went from 300 to 600 to 900. And now in this latest version of the publication, over 1300. And describe for us the definitions you use for book publishing and startups. What does it take for a company to make it onto that spreadsheet? That was a challenge, too, because I wanted to be inclusive, but I was very much wanted people in the book industry that you and I, you know, have worked with over these years who we work with today. I wanted it to be very relevant. And so I thought well, the best way was to restrict, on the one hand, the book category. And I, I talk about the bookish object. I think that the startup should have some reference to the bookish object. But I use that loosely because, for example, Wattpad's included and books are not their primary business. So they're one of the most successful publishers out there. But generally speaking, you know, books as we've understood them over the last several decades and, and you know, not multimedia, let's say, for example. And we'll come back to one other proviso here in a second. So there, there's that. And, OK, what's a startup? And I, in my mind, you know, it's just there's the lore of Silicon Valley. We all know what startups are, right? That's Facebook. That's Apple, you know, little garages and multi-gazillion dollar companies. And, you know, that is what I'm referred to as the existential nature of startup, startupedness. But it's hard actually to bring that into a tighter definition that for consistency's sake. And so I, there's a, a slightly complex uh, aspect to this is what I call scalability, mainly that not being just a service entity, not being a, a one-off, an editorial services company where each new customer needs handholding, 
I don't think of that as a startup. A bookstore, not a startup, is not technologically innovative. Another, you know, publishing imprint using a traditional model, not innovative. And so I want there to be a degree of technology and innovation, a, you know, sort of repeatability and expandability from a core investment in a, a tech kernel. Roughly speaking, that's that's it. Left out of it to finish the answer. Um, ed tech. What a challenge that was because you know educational technology as a category is enormous, much larger than book publishing overall. And you know, in a sense, because it, the education industry started off with textbooks, then you would think that any new startup in that ed tech space would be relevant. But again. There's, you know, there's hundreds of those, and I drew the line at those companies that reference, again, the bookish object, the textbookish object, even if they have substantially reconfigured the media package. And so, Thad McElroy, for these book publishing startups, what's the level of investment that you've been able to document? I, I was really very pleasantly surprised, delighted, perhaps, um, when I tallied up the numbers. What I report in the Publishers Weekly article is $3.4 billion in total dollars invested. What I also point out is that a lot of investment is not disclosed. A lot of people brag about investment. Other people want to keep it a little bit under the radar. I would guess it's closer to $4 billion overall that's been raised amongst these 1,300-plus startups. Pat McElroy, you spoke with Big Five publishing executives for their views on startups. And what is their own record for in-house innovation? And do they have much appetite for acquisition when it comes to technology? It's a great question, Chris. And a, I think a fascinating answer has emerged from that that are reported you know, in this version of the report. I hadn't asked that before. And I thought that might bring an interesting perspective to get the sort of Big Five thousand foot view on it. And I was, I was able to get hold of uh, some good senior uh, executives, very thoughtful folks. They wanted to stay off the record, which is fine with me. And they were revealing as a result. And I, I sort of make a number of conclusions. I mean, publishing, as, as we know, there's a lot of smart people. And, you know, th- their experience and they've you know, worked in the industry. They've worked through a period of transition. But for the most part, and this may be too gross a generalization, the senior executives at the largest publishers tend to come up through editorial. Uh, another bunch of them tend to come up through sales and marketing. They never come up through tech. They never come up through the IT channel or the Department of Innovation, such as those exist. And the result is, I think, for the larger publishers, they don't necessarily intuitively pick up on the value of some of the startups. So there's that on the one hand. There's another aspect to it where... They did, you know, in this early startup mania in the early days after the Kindle was released and ebooks were a big deal and so on. They all, for the most part, um, went into it with a couple of startups internally, a couple of acquisitions early on, and most of them did not do terribly well. You could argue that's because they didn't have the kind of skills to manage it, or I think there were more, a variety of factors, but what ended up appearing to be a trend after time was that they just weren't good at this. And so the the attention has turned more inward. And they, one very smart executive said to me, why do we have to buy the company to use the technology? We can license the technology. We can become a customer. At the same time, you know, we're, we're large firms and we should be building this stuff internally. 
And so they have the money to do some very intelligent internal investment that they don't have to share with anyone. And so they can develop a competitive advantage that way. And with startup culture in Silicon Valley, Thad McElroy, there's always important personae involved. Apart from the founders, there's venture capitalists and other investors, lawyers, and advisors on exit strategies. Those are all in the picture. So who are the key players in those fields when it comes to book publishing? And that question surprised me when I asked it myself. And again, in this version of the report, for the first time, I really delved into what I call the service providers. And I'd assumed, you know, when I started to ask that question myself, that I would find a cadre of, you know, this person is five investments, this person seven investments, that kind of thing. I wasn't finding that. For the most part, the investments seemed to be one-off, not so-called sector investments. I didn't identify a large number at all. In fact, it's a very, very small number of investors that have have, have made multiple investments in publishing startups. So, there's one company, KKR, Colbert, Kravitz, Roberts, whatever it was. They all call themselves. They call themselves solely KKR and multi, you know, billion, multi-billion company. And they have one executive who's interested in the startup sector. And so they've made multiple, three, four, maybe five investments in the sector. But that stands out as unusual. And when it comes to investments, of course, we're interested in learning about notable exits. So what have been some of the most successful startups uh, in the book publishing category? I went back to look at the list before our call and trying to find a a kind of patterning there. One pattern that's very clear is one that is, you know, well-known, I'm sure, to the listeners of your podcast, the Wattpad story, Radish, uh, Webtoons. That development, which, you know, has been with us now for Wattpad must be 15 years old, something like that. We watched them for years and with a degree of skepticism and perhaps scorn, it seemed like, you know, not our kind of people or something like that. And they ended up, you know, being ginormously successful. They were acquired for $600 million. And they're, I really think, the poster child for success where you know they they did the thing that you're supposed to do which is innovate around ideas innovate around you know how uh, creative content can be developed to an eager group of readers and came up with a decidedly new if in some ways retro model and you know reinvented a sector and created hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars worth of value and how have publishing startups that you've surveyed fared when it comes to entering public markets? That was not as consistently successful as one would have hoped. I mean, they're, they're, of course, you know, I put Amazon on the list because you have to put Amazon on the list because they really started as a book publishing startup. There's, you know, I thought I should exclude them because they're a one-off, but no, they're, they started as a book publishing startup, so they're legitimately on the list. And you know, they're the poster child couple others. I think, you know, as as with a, a question that's often asked, you know, what are the most successful areas of investment? The, the companies that do uh, jump out are the fan fiction um, uh, section, but they haven't gone into IPOs. So earlier than that, the textbook section for a while, the textbook subsector of the publishing industry, there were a couple of high-profile startups, one of which, Chegg, is still in business, has gone through its ups and downs, uh, but, you know, has has overall done quite well. 
In 2012, Microsoft announced a $300 million investment in the Nook reading device developed by Barnes & Noble, only to end the partnership two years later in 2014. Nook remains on the market today, but never emerged as a strong player. And so I have to ask that, McElroy, is the Nook a cautionary tale when it comes to innovation from the inside? And that, too, is a very good question, Chris, and one that I've pondered. It's a saga, isn't it? The Nook saga and the Barnes & Noble saga, of course, over the last several decades. The Nook, by all accounts, technically speaking, was very good at very was and I suppose is to some extent, though we don't hear much about it these days, um, you know, it, it competed on a technology basis and it was priced competitively and it came from a very credible vendor. I think if there's any lesson, don't think that you can beat Amazon. That's a lesson that many startups have learned. And you take the Nook business and, and then uh, tie that into the overall online business of Barnes & Noble though their current financial data is secretive to some extent, before they were acquired by private equity, that company, their online sales were declining, declining, declining. So it was part of their larger failure to compete with Amazon. I think Nook fell victim to that. Self-publishing has caused the most disruption for traditional publishers over the last decade. Thad McElroy, are we likely to see anything as disruptive in coming years? Yeah, you tipped me off to that question before our call, Chris, and so I had a chance to think about it. And it, it's a it's it's a question that's well worth asking, and one that I hadn't really looked at you know head on until you posed it. And it, a couple of points that I would make: I mean, self-publishing clearly has been enormously disruptive by the term that we would use, disruption in in the startup sense, and you know is now. Though we don't have exact figures, it's a four, six, seven billion dollar industry, depending on how it's defined. And when you consider that trade publishing as a whole, you know, is less than a fifteen dollar, fifteen billion dollar industry, self publishing is a very significant sector financially, and so that is an enormously disruptive in that sense. So, how then would we say what the next level of disruption might be? And is it an economic disruption? Is it the number of players, the number of firms that come into the field? Those certainly would be some of the factors. The, the, the technologies that I point to and the one that I keep coming back to even more than just the few months since the report's been published, of course, is anything to do with artificial intelligence. And that had been a big buzz several years ago. And a, a number of startups, I had about the better part of 20 startups that have glommed on to trying to apply kind of some, some degree of artificial intelligence to their product offering 10 years or so ago. That fell off. Didn't They weren't able to come up, for the most part, with very viable business models. What we've seen and uh, you know, is much discussed these days, the GPT-3 for language generation and the DALI for image generation, many people are saying that that could be enormously disruptive. And, you know, the jury's still out. Clearly, the technology is fascinating and fantastic. If indeed, you know, most writers begin to use uh, some of these tools routinely in their writing, even if that doesn't, you know, have an enormous economic impact, wouldn't that be even more disruptive if we change the way that, you know, books are written, not merely the way they're published and sold? So, yes, potentially there's, there's, Regardless, I look forward to the next disruption. It, it, it couldn't be more fun from my perspective. 
And for everyone listening to the call, they can have a little fun, too, exploring the database that you've collected. It's accessible from PublishersWeekly.com for anyone to search and, and drill down on your data. Since it was made available a few months ago, have you seen much traffic? And do you have any idea of what kind of interest uh, particular areas that people are most focused on? I've, I've been hearing a lot. I've been hearing lots of very positive feedback. I tried to get the download numbers, and I haven't got the totals on that as yet. We have sort of three ways that you can get it via the web. And so I'm looking for the total downloads. But my impression is that it's getting out there, that people are seeing it. It's it's uh, a bit daunting when you first get it. It's the better part of 10,000 words. And you know, it was put up on the Publishers Weekly website where you're used to reading a you know 200-word posting. So this one, you got to sit down for 10,000 words and then go to the database and start playing with that. So I think that has slowed adoption, as they would say. All right. Well, Thad McElroy, thanks so much for speaking with me today and for sharing your data with the Publishers Weekly audience. Well, thanks, Chris. Great to see you. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to our program wherever you go for podcasts. And please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also find Velocity of Content on YouTube as part of the Copyright Clearance Center channel. I'm Christopher Keneally for CCC.